0: Happy Father's Day to fathers here today. Um, this is not going to be a, a Father's Day message per se, although it's very easy to, to apply the message to fathers in particular, and I will do that at the end. Um, but, you know, I wanted to, just to take a, a, um, a few minutes and talk to dads, and myself included. Um, you know, fathers, one of the huge reasons why you are alive today one of the big reasons, I, I, I was about to say the biggest reason, but, you know, I overstate things. And I'm like, okay, one of the biggest reasons is to show sacrificial responsibility and caring for and providing for and raising and loving your kids. I heard somebody say recently um, that sacrificial love is the reason the world exists. And I was like, that seems like a strange statement. But then he went into, he said, that's what... That was God's goal when he created the world was that he would send his son and that he would sacrifice himself in love for lost sinners like us. So one of the big reasons you're alive is to love your kids and to lay your life down for them and to raise them in a way that honors God, to provide for them, to care for them. Um, That's how you show your kids what God is like because that's how God is toward us as his children. So just a few things. Fathers, take your responsibility in calling as father seriously to the glory of God, and you will never regret it. If you don't take it seriously and you take lots of other things seriously, one day you will regret that rejoice in the privilege given to you. You get to shape the next generation of followers of Christ, which I think is an amazing joy. And now it's not easy, right? It's not just all pie in the sky, and you've got to get down to the ground level and do the hard work. But we get to do that, fathers. And that's an amazing thing. And also embrace the cost. It will cost you to leave a, leave a mark for Christ on your kids. It will cost you. Um, in my office at home, I have three items from my dad's house. Uh, well, three items hanging up, I should say. There's probably other items, I suppose. But I have three items hanging up in my, in my office from my dad's home. A, a barometer it's hanging up from, from the as far back as I can remember, this barometer hanging up, and every once in a while would go tap it and see if it was working and see what was coming our way, perhaps. Uh, I never look at it for that. It's, it's, I just like having it up. I have a plaque that was in my, my, my dad's kitchen from as far back as I can remember that says De DeGroat family and then Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's in my office. And then I have a, a prayer that um, my dad had handwritten, and it, it was meant to be read by whoever received it and found, or whoever found it, it was meant to be read by them and receive it. Jody found it, my sister, and made a copy for me and my siblings and maybe some others. If you know my dad, he used to, um, he used to make copies of lots of things and hand them out. Anyone remember that? Okay. Um, so Jody's following in that tradition. She gave it to me. And here's what it said. It says, um, Father, I ask you to bless my friends reading this right now. I am asking you to minister to their spirit at this very moment. Where there's pain, give them your peace and your mercy. Where there is doubting, release a renewed confidence in your ability. Where there's tiredness or exhaustion, I ask you to give them understanding, patience, and strength as they learn submission to your leading. Where there's spiritual stagnation, I ask you to renew them by revealing your nearness and drawing them into greater intimacy with your courage. Where there is sin, reveal it and break its hold over my friend's life. Bless their finances, give them greater vision, and raise up leaders and friends to support and encourage them. Give each of them discernment to recognize evil and and reveal to them the power that they have in you. I ask you to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To be a kind of dad... Um, that God intends for you, will mean less golf, less television, foregoing that sports car or your yearly hunting excursion or whatever it may be. It might mean you're not the coolest dad in the world or your parents' sugar daddy, right? giving them whatever they want, but it will be worth it. C.T. Studd said, uh, just thought of this this morning in a poem he wrote. He wrote um, the lines, uh, this is just a part of it, but toward the end of this poem he said, One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only, only fathering in a way that is done for Christ will truly last beyond this life. So fathers, happy Father's Day today. I honor you and bless you and I encourage you and exhort you in Jesus' name to take up this responsibility with great seriousness and sobriety and joy. And if you are like a seasoned father or you feel like you got this thing figured out, okay, this dad thing, or if you're more like me and sometimes you just feel like you're blundering through life, like I don't know if I know what I'm doing, but I'm doing the best I can, then uh, God is with you. God is with you. He's there to help. And I want to honor you today because your calling is significant and huge. So, there we go. Fathers, you're amazing. And you have an amazing calling. <clears throat> we're continuing our series, and I want to continue that this morning. The series we've been going through it asks this question, how should we now live? And it presumes something. It assumes something that went before this series we're talking about now. And the series we talked about before was these gigantic, otherworldly, amazing blessings that we have received and who we now are in Christ because of Jesus alone. And because we've received all of this by God's grace and for his glory, because we've received it, we are the rich recipients of God's grace. How do we now live? How do we live now? How should we now walk in this life? Or maybe I'd put it this way. When the God of the universe is on your side and your future is filled with an eternal hope, how do you live then? How do you then live? And this morning we're talking about something that is a great challenge. You know, oftentimes the things we want help for The things we want help for are not the things that God knows that we actually need help for. We have our prayer requests. We bring our things to the Lord, and lots of them are great things, and sometimes they're not so great. The Lord is incredibly merciful in that. But this is something God really wants to help us with. Here's what we're going to talk about. How do we then live? Well, we live in such a way that our speech, our speaking, the use of of our mouths brings glory and honor to God. We walk in such a way that our speaking reveals the grace and glory of our God. What if with your words, now this is a real question I'm asking. I want you to think about this with me today. What if with your words, you could bring a little piece of heaven down to earth? Would you want to be able to? Of course. Of course you would. And what if by turning from certain patterns and ways of speaking, you could just eradicate a little bit of hell here on earth? Would you want to do that? Of course you would. We're going to talk about the use of our words. You know, God places great importance on our words. We can use our words for great good and we can use them for great harm. And everyone here probably has done both. You've used your words to do great good by encouraging and building up. And you've used your words to do great harm by tearing down and belittling. James 3 shows us the great damage we can do with our words. James 3 is a very well-known passage about the tongue. Listen to these verses in Uh, James 3, verses 6 and 8 and 9. Verse 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 8, speaking of the tongue again, it says, It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's like we come here on Sundays and we sing praise to God and we bless his name and we go home and we curse and belittle and put down people made in his image. But it's not only that our words can do great damage, it's that our words can do great good. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the whole body. Proverbs 18.21 actually brings these two together pretty succinctly when it just says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can speak death and you can speak life. It's in the power of your tongue. And Jesus says, just to give us an idea of the importance God places on words, there, there are no throwaway words. <clears throat> Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 36. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Oh, how many careless words I've spoken. Not even, not even intentional, deliberate well thought through, I'm going to do tear this person down. I'm going to say this thing. But how many careless words have come out of my mouth? So this morning, we need to see that this is a big deal, which is why you and I need help. You and I need help. And God is here to help us. And he wants to help us as we open up our hearts to him, as we come to him with humility So every one of us, before we leave today, we need to ask the serious question. How does God want to change me this morning? Do you ask that when you come to church on Sunday? What does God want to do in my life today? How does he want to make me more like his son, Jesus? How does he want to change me so that my life would be a picture of what the radical grace of God does in someone's life. When Jesus invades someone's life, it when he invades our lives, he changes us. I mean, we are we are given a new identity, we've talked about that, but then there is this ongoing change that's happening. What does he want to do today? In humility, and honesty, let's come before God even right now, even this very moment. Not wait, till we get, not wait till we leave or wait till we are alone later on this afternoon. But even right now, just say, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to change me? And ask him or tell him, just say to him, confess to him, God, I want your truth to land on me today. And if we honestly come before him this way, he will meet us. So here's the outline of the text here in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.29. Here's the outline I want to go through. First, we see a command. Then we see a motive. And then we see a resource. Resource, you may say, what does that mean? We'll get to it later. So we see a command, a motive, and a resource. First, the command. Here's the command. No corrupt words coming out of your mouth. Let no corrupt words. Let no... Filthy, corrupt, dirty, it's translated other ways, just plain bad, okay? Let none of this stuff come out of your mouth, but only good words that build up and give grace and are fit for the occasion. So here's what Paul says. Not that kind of speech, but this kind of speech. Don't talk like that. Rather, talk like this. Don't speak that way, rather speak this way. Let's look at exactly how Paul puts it here in verses 29 and 30. He says, Let let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the adjective Paul uses to describe the way we're not supposed to speak is corrupting. <clears throat> now, everyone who's had young children and you work with them on the way that they speak, you need to define for them that bad language includes more than just the four or five or six cuss words, right? The big five or six, I suppose you might say. Right? You sit down and talk with them. No, it's more than just saying this word and 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 this word. Okay? Okay. So so let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. It's not just cuss words, but Paul is concerned with contaminating words, words that corrupt. Words that contaminate. That's the effect of the words Paul is concerned with. It's things like gossip. It's things like complaining and murmuring. It's things like slander. It's things like putting people down who aren't there. It's things like cynical talk and things like sarcasm. I am such a sarcastic person sometimes. It's things like that. It's coarse jesting. It is dirty jokes. It's all of that. In what way does it corrupt? Well, we see from taking the opposites of the speech Paul commends. Paul commends speech that builds up. He commends speech that is fit for the moment or fit for the occasion. He commends speech that gives grace to those who hear. So this bad speech, what does it do? It tears down. It tears down ourselves and others and Christ's church. It is not fit for the occasion. It is totally out of place right if it's if a word is fit for the occasion it's right on but a word that is corrupt it is out of place there's no place for it and corrupt words don't give grace to those who hear rather they poison those who hear it's amazing now i'm not even intending to do this but it just comes to mind Um, As a dad, it's amazing the kinds of patterns of speech my kids pick up from me. Right? Not just good patterns of speech. It's the things I don't want them to pick up from me. It's the things I need help with. Praise God he's here to help. The answer is not to take a minimalist approach. Like, well, just give me, what, what do I need to do to slide by? The reason why this won't work is because Paul says, let no corrupting word come out of your mouth. Let not even one, don't let one corrupting word come out of your mouth. Now, the the word no kind of takes us off guard. I, I think it took me off guard. I'm It's like, surely Paul doesn't, he's not requiring perfection. He's not saying, you can't ever say anything in this category. Don't ever do it. Is that what he means? No corrupt words? Don't we get like one or two or five a day? I, I remember when I was a little kid, probably eight or ten, and uh, I had a friend in church, and um, a friend from church, I, we went over to his house, and we're outside playing, and his dad pulled up. It was probably Sunday afternoon or Saturday or some, some weekend day. His dad pulled up, and we're outside play, playing, and his dad came out and started talking to us a little bit. And all of a sudden, my friend, out of nowhere, I mean, it's like totally out of the blue, just threw out this F-bomb and ran off. And he yelled back at his dad, Dad, that's the only time today. It's like they had this unspoken, or maybe it was a spoken, understanding that he got one cuss word a day. I thought that was so strange. <laughs> I mean, for, first of all, I mean, I've done my fair share of, of cussing, okay, in my life. Don't, I'm not trying to make it sound like I can't believe someone would ever cuss, but I was eight years old, and he did it in front of his dad. But he had one a day, apparently. Paul says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, not one. And I think here's what God is saying, because we've all, we've all failed at this many of us today just, i mean by 10:30 this morning i think here's what god is saying okay don't make peace with any of it don't be okay with any of it whether it's whether you struggle with slander uh, g- gossip or you struggle just just a cuss word comes out when you get hurt or when Something bad happens. I mean, that it just kind of slips out, right? It's part of your old life and it just comes out every once in a while. Don't make peace with any of it. Don't be okay with any of it. God is saying, I sent my son to die in order to free you from using your tongue to destroy and contaminate and corrupt So God is saying, by by his grace and for his glory, reject it. And just don't make peace. Just go on strike against it. No more of that. And I would add, do it today. But of course, we all have failed. We all have fallen short. Now we can do couple of things. We can take the minimalist approach, like I said before, or we can just make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves with others and saying, well, I'm better than that person. We can make it all kinds of excuses. Or we, can, we, have, we, have, we have lots of excuses for our bad behavior sometimes. We justify why we behave a certain way, why we are incessant complainers. We justify it because life is so hard and no one understands. I can't talk to anyone. That's why I complain. I can't actually talk to someone and get help because no one understands. Don't make excuses like that. Refuse to give it place in your life. So whether it's slander, gossip, complaining, name-calling, sarcasm, cynicism, lying, cussing, perverted jokes, don't make peace with it. Refuse it any place in your life. This is where we need to, in humility, each one of us admit our failures in this and come to God for mercy. The amazing thing is when we come to God in this way, we find mercy. That's what he gives us day after day after day after day. For all of our failures, for all of our faults, he is a God rich in mercy and his mercies are brand new every day single day and I don't know about you but I need them I mean even as I was thinking about this message last night I got home and and just I came home to unexpected things and I just some things I wish I could take back some things that I said didn't yell and scream but there was frustration and I communicated it in my words to people in my home Thank God for his mercy and grace and help. So let no corrupting speech come out of your mouth. Does anyone else feel like they need help with this? Okay. Not alone. It's good to hear. Good to see. I mean, I'm thankful that I'm among friends here. Okay. No corrupting speech. And then he, he doesn't end there. He says, but only speech that is good. So none of this only this. Let no corrupt speech, only this kind of speech, only speech that is good, okay? Good as opposed to bad, corrupt, good that builds up. Good speech builds up, and it is fit for the moment, and it gives grace to those who hear. Okay? So it builds up. It promotes the good and growth of others. It encourages them and builds them up. Don't we all need words like that from each other? Don't you want to be someone who is, when, when, when you're around people, they just feel like they're being bolstered and encouraged and built up. We want to be that, don't we? If Christ is in you, you want that. It may not be the case, but you want that. We want to build people up. It's words that build up. It's words that are fit for the occasion. Or the New American Standard Bible says, according to the need of the moment. We probably all have been at a place or in a situation where someone said something, and it may not have even been the most profound thing to ever come out of someone's mouth, but it was just so spot on for that moment. That's what Paul's talking about. Like, wow, that is right on. That is that is exactly what needed to be said at this moment right now. Paul says speak words like that. You're writing a high school you're writing a card to a high school graduate or visiting someone in the hospital or consoling a friend who has just had her husband walk out on her. We want to say something. That helps. We have to say something. That's why we're here. We want to say a word that's fit for the occasion. We want to be God's mouthpiece, as it were. I have a friend who just two days ago found out that he has a brain tumor. And as I spoke to him on the phone, visited with with him just a bit. I'm going down to visit him tomorrow in the hospital but I want to I be able to say something to him that really matters. That is fit for that kind of occasion. As I'm praying for him, a word that brings him to God and to God's grace. You all probably heard about the, this uh, Dylan Roof, this uh, young man in South Carolina who killed nine blacks in a church, a very historical church there, wild racist guy. I mean, hated uh, primarily blacks, but lots of other groups of people too. He was a, uh, I mean, there's evil in his heart. And I I happened to see a short video where he was being arraigned before the judge and was given his sentence. And some of the victim's families were able to address him. And some of them just you know, said, what you took will never get back. I mean, very understandable, emotional. There was this one young man whose mother was killed. I, I believe it was his mother that was killed. And he said, I mean, he didn't say hardly anything. This is about all he said. We forgive you. And we urge you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And everything will be okay. And You talk about a word that is fit for the occasion. You might think, well, no, what I would say is this. You know, let them have it. Well, boy, you talk about a word that is fit for the occasion. That's powerful. And we want to speak words that give grace to those who hear. We want to speak words that give grace to To those who hear. In fact, when it says that it may give grace to those who hear, we see that Paul's, this is the purpose that we want to speak certain words. We want our words to be like uh, grace coming to people. When, When it lands on people, it's like they grace has come to them. They have received grace by our words. At the beginning of every one of Paul's letters, er, I looked up every one, unless I missed one to confirm this. Every one of his letters, every single one of them, he begins his greeting and in his greeting, he begins with a greeting, and in his greeting are these words, grace to you. Everyone. And not that our words are on par with Scripture by any means, but in, the, in a similar way, we want our words to be like grace to people. We want to speak words that's just like a the wind of God's grace just comes at them. It's just they receive God's grace in our speaking to them. The, the, the purpose for your words. I mean, when Paul says only speak these kinds of words. I think what he's saying is the purpose that you are given the ability to speak is that grace would go out to your children, to your husband or your wife, to each other here at church, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to people, long lost friends you might run into to new people you may meet, that grace would come to them. It doesn't mean you're you're just always preaching the gospel by any means, but grace is coming to them. You're speaking gracious words. Remember what Proverbs um, 21 said, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the whole body. When we speak, God has given you and I the immense privilege of speaking words that give or deliver his grace. It's like we are this vehicle of God's grace, bringing it to people. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about that? It's interesting that when Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that a lot of them... I didn't go look and count the ones that he talks about and how many fit into this category. Uh, The majority of them are speaking gifts. Right? We manifest the Holy Spirit as we speak words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic utterances. So, we look at the command, don't speak corrupt words, speak words that give life and give grace. But next we move to the motive. What is the motive of this? The motive is we want to give God delight and not grief. We want to please the Lord and not cause him grief. And every Christian, regardless of where you may find yourself today or in in the right on the battlefield when, when you need to bite your tongue or when you need grace to not say something or to say something different regardless of where you are right now you there's something deep inside of it you want to bring god delight you want to bring him joy you want to please him you don't want to grieve him here's what verse 30 says and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word and at the beginning of verse 30 means there's a continuation. So verse 29 and verse 30 are meant to go together, right? It's it's our speaking that grieves him. It's our corrupt, I should say, it's our corrupt speaking that grieves him. Remember, the Christian life is a relationship with a person, Uh, It's about, I mean, the the crux of it is we come into communion with the living God. That's what Christianity is about. Jesus died to bring us to God. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment of our future inheritance, which is full and complete access without any hindrance and barrier to God himself. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Grieved. Now, I think it's interesting that it doesn't say he's enraged or angry, but he's grieved. It causes him sorrow. It grieves his soul. In other words, we cause him sorrow and grief with our words. He takes it personal. When I say something to cut down one of my children or my wife, it hurts her, but the Holy Spirit takes that personal. It grieves him too. Men, have you ever said something to injure your wife? I mean, you just, you said something that was harsh and cruel to injure your wife probably we have. What was it like after that? What was the atmosphere in your home? Probably it was kind of cool. And it may be that your wife didn't really want to be close to you for a while. She wasn't ready to, to bite your head off back She just was grieved. She was hurt. She was filled with sorrow. And she wanted to keep her distance from you. And hopefully, you realize it at some point that you did a boneheaded thing. And you went and apologized. And you stopped making excuses. And you just said, I sinned. I've, I've wronged you. And worked things out. Well, In a similar way, we can do that to the Holy Spirit. He is not some impersonal force, just kind of floating around, touching people here and there. He is a person. He is God. He has a mind. He has a a soul. He has um, emotions. And we grieve him when we sin with our tongues and the thing i thought about this weekend is i mean it's almost like we we can kind of chase them away if you're here today and any of these things i'm talking about with how we use our tongues to corrupt and sin against god and if you sense or if you have felt like god is just distant we just hit the nail on the head today right bingo With our words, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's like we push him away. We chase him away with our words. But with our words, we can bring him great delight. If the Holy Spirit seems distant when grieved, what is it like when he is pleased with our words, right? What if we're speaking these good words that are fit for the moment and build up, and that's all that comes out of our mouth? The Holy Spirit is pleased with that. He loves that, and he invades that. Right? If he's grieved by our corrupt words, he I mean he comes in upon our gracious words. I, I mean, he loves it. That's why I asked the question at the beginning. If by your words you could, now it's not the best way to put it, but something I thought of, you could bring down a little piece of heaven, would you do it? Holy the Holy Spirit loves and is pleased and delighted in our words that are filled with grace. When we speak words of grace, we can experience the smile and the joy. And I, hopefully this isn't too irreverent. Even the laughter of heaven as the Holy Spirit comes near in intimacy with us. Why don't we go for that? What do you say in our homes here at real life church in our church, in our marriages, let's pursue that third. I got to keep moving third, the resource Um, up until now I've given commands and I've told you a motive And uh, you may want to do them. You may want to feel a certain kind of motive. You, or you may want to have a certain kind of motive, but you may be entirely powerless to carry these things out. But thankfully, this text comes with the resources to do what it says. Up until up until now, it may sound like God is telling you and I to fly, but we don't have wings. We can't fly. like, I can't do that. I want to, but I can't. I'd love to fly, but I can't. But what if God tells you to fly and then he actually gives you the wings to fly and then helps you along the way and teaches you to fly? Here's a little line that John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote. He said, Run, John, run, the law commands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. The gospel speaks of better things. It bids us fly and gives us wings. God wants to give you wings so you can fly today. What I mean by flying is to speak in such a way that your words are full of grace and build up and encourage. So he tells us to fly and he gives us wings. Where is that at? It better be there, right? Because we can't fly. All right, here we go. Uh, the little phrase, sealed by the Holy Spirit. When it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. You and I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. A seal is a mark or a stamp of ownership, a brand of ownership. Okay? Okay. God has put his brand of ownership on you, and you are his forever. You belong to him now, and there is no turning back. God is not turning back on you. Isn't that encouraging? When I I blow it sometimes, I mean, I just... I feel like I need to grovel. And there's, there's a place for getting on our knees and weeping over our sin for sure. But sometimes I feel like I need to grovel for like at least a couple hours. Maybe longer before God. But it's so encouraging to know that with all of our weakness and even in the midst of our failures, he is not giving up on his own. He has put his seal upon you. You belong to him. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. This is meant to give you a sense of deep security today in spite of your weaknesses and failures. There is hope for change today because God will not let you go. And we know from other passages in the Bible that God's intent and purpose for us is that we would look just like our big brother, Jesus. That we'd be conformed to his image And he never spoke a corrupt word. He only spoke gracious and holy words. So, sealed, being sealed by the Holy Spirit means assurance. God will never give up on us. But being sealed by the Holy Spirit also means power. Because God has given you, by the Holy Spirit, the necessary resources to live out what we've been talking about today. By the Holy Spirit, he's given you the power to actually do the things we've talked about. To put off corrupt speaking and to put on good and holy and righteous and gracious speaking. You see, the power of the old self, remember two weeks ago we talked about the old self and the new self? The power of the old self is the flesh. Okay, your sinful nature. Where you are... In your sinful nature, you are bent towards sin. You were born in Adam. The power of the new self is God himself by his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He has given you new life by himself, right? That's what it means to be born again by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said in John 3. Sealed means power enablement, this resource we have to live differently. And we've been given not just a little sprinkling of fairy dust or something or, or just a theory about God or even about the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. We have been given the Holy Spirit himself as our seal to empower us to live differently. The power of the old self is a flesh with all its twisted desires, emotions, attitudes, actions, and words. But we've been given the Holy Spirit. I love John fourteen, fifteen through 17, which says that the Holy Spirit is not just with us. Jesus said he has been with you, but he will be in you. So it's not just that the Holy Spirit is with us, but he is in us, indwelling us. You know what this means? It removes every excuse for why you and I can't grow. I'm not saying growth hap- that immediate um, 100% change happens overnight. By no means. My goodness, we are all a work in progress. And God will work on us till the day we die. But it removes every excuse for why. In your particular lot in life, you just can't. If only any people knew how uh how my kids can be, they would know that's why I talk this way. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> or they knew how man, if they knew the husband or wife I need to put up with. Or if they knew the if they knew what my week was like the pressures I feel every day, they would know I just got a vent at the end of the day. No, no. I'm not saying it's easy, but no, my goodness, no, right? Let's say no today. No, we don't want that. We want more than that. In Christ, and by the power of his spirit and for the glory of God, change is inevitable as we learn to lean into the Holy Spirit more and more for guidance and for help. So how do we get started? How do we, what do we do? Here's what I want you and I to do. There's four things. I want to get through these quick. First, come to God in humility this morning. Come to God in humility and say, God, these lips have been used to speak corrupt things. Isaiah, when he had a vision of God in Isaiah six, he fell down and he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. That was the first thing he said. He wasn't like, he said, my lips are dirty. And we all, I, I think without any stretch, I think everyone here, I think we can all say that to God. I am these, these lips have been used. Maybe we, would, maybe we wouldn't say I'm a man of unclean lips because we maybe we wouldn't say that. I don't know. I would. But we can all say my lips have been used to speak corrupt and dirty and harmful and hurtful things. We need to humble ourselves before God and be able to say that, especially when we realize the no of verse 29. Let no corrupting word come out of your mouth. There's forgiveness and there's cleansing, full forgiveness, free forgiveness, free and full cleansing when we confess to the Lord our faults, when we don't try to hide them, when we don't try to justify them, when when we just say, here I am. And for some, you you might feel like, I'm bringing a pretty big mess to God. He can handle it. When you come and say, here I am with all my mess. These were these lips have been used to, to speak. Horrific things. There's free and full forgiveness and cleansing. Number two, today, go on strike against corrupt talk. Complaining, murmuring, um, slander and gossip name calling, cussing, dirty jokes, whatever it is, anything that would not be in the good category that builds up and that is fit for the moment and that gives grace, go on strike against it. I think that's what it means when it says, let none of this come out of your mouth. It's not saying we won't stumble and fall, but go today, say, I am, I am making no peace I'm not making peace with that any longer. I am going on strike today against corrupt talk. Number 3. Say to God. We need to say this to him. Say to God, "Oh God, I need your help." I want to do this, God, for your glory and by your grace, but I need your help. And he will help. He will help us. Um couple things I thought of is expose yourself to God's words to you. When we want to know, I mean, we want to speak, right? These kinds of words. Well, what about, how does God speak to you? How does he address you as a son, as a daughter? Here's, he says things like this to you and I in great tenderness and mercy. (laughs) And if we know ourselves very well, we don't deserve it. He says, um, fear not. This is Isaiah 43.1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, he loved me and gave himself up for me. I, Jesus, can, Jesus looks at us and he says, if you are in Christ, he says, I love you. And I gave myself for you. And we also need to continue daily and even continually be filled afresh or seek to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Here's what Ephesians 5.18 says. We'll get to this in a few weeks, probably. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you come to God with sincerity and openness in your heart, he will meet you today. And there is no telling what he might do in your life. How he might some things you want to see turned and you realize this is this is an ingredient in part of the problems I'm experiencing in God not not feeling near and some other things, some strife in my life. You might say this is a key ingredient. There's no telling how he might turn things quick. Maybe not overnight. Maybe not in a month, but he will work. Number four, I said I'd get back to dads. Hey, dads, how about you lead the way in your home? Don't wait for your wife. Don't say, I don't understand why my kids, where'd they learn to speak like this? when that's how you speak. I've noticed this. I, I can be very sarcastic and and I've noticed my just sarcasm in my kids. Like, where'd they learn that? From me. So dads, we need to lead the way in this. Take the lead. So in closing, what could God do in our homes, in our church? in our marriages, in our city, if real-life church only spoke words that built up and fit the occasion and brought grace and the power of God's Spirit? You know what would happen in small, and I pray big ways too, the smile of God would be upon us. The laugh and joy of heaven would come down. God, rich and deep in pleasure, would come down by His Spirit and bless us. And I think that's what we ultimately want. We want God to come down. We want his spirit. We want a sense of his nearness, his intimacy with us. So let's do something here as we close. I want you to put your hands out before you, just your empty hands. And I'm going to read something. I wrote this down. You may say it a little differently, and that's okay. Um, But just say this in your heart with me this morning. Lord, I am weak but you are strong. You have spoken your word of mercy and grace, of love and forgiveness over my life, and you've sealed me by your Holy Spirit. I surrender to you fully. Take my life, take my mouth, and may it be an instrument of building up, of speaking words that are fit for the moment, for just the right time words that are filled with grace. And it brings grace to those who hear that you might rejoice with loud shouts of joy over us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this, your word. And God, I pray that you would help us, help our mouths to be cleansed and instruments that deliver grace to those around us. God, we ask, we need your help. I pray that you would do this in our lives, empower us by your spirit, do this, God, for your glory, and I pray that you'd help us by your grace to walk in this more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.